This is Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Again, we are here for another week. It's good to be here, Terry. Good to see Andy. Good to be seen. We've, <laughs> we've been sitting here for a while, have we not? Yeah, today's one of those days, listeners, where we have what's called technical difficulties. <laughs> it's one of those moments that I want to take my computer, pull it over my head. He was so close to losing his full mind. mind. Full mind. mind, yes. And then breaking my computer over my knee. Now, uh, we have a device that we use that sometimes does very bizarre things, such as refusing to let my computer access the web or suddenly <laughs> cutting out audio or doing all sorts of bizarre things. Uh, but that's okay. We're, we're working. and We're on a roll now. We're on a roll. We're glad to be here. And I'm excited about our guest that we have on the line today. This is my best friend from... High school, growing up, somebody that I have known many, many years, Brian Stagner, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Brian was my best man in my wedding. I was his best man, but more than that, this is a fun fact I think we need to start the show with. When Brian and I were children, Terry, uh, we vowed to each other three things. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. The first thing that we vowed was to be each other's best men in, our, in each other's wedding. And, wow. And this we is, did that. I was going back to how old? Completed. Yeah. How old do you think we were when we made this vow? Uh, that's hard to say. <laughs> I mean, anywhere you don't want to give up that age? Maybe between like thir- 13 and 15, somewhere in the sweet, sweet spot. It's, it's one of those blood packs. Okay. The second vow was to avenge each other's death. Evan had to uh, make good on that that's one. Still, that's still pending. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. And the, the third vow, what, what was it, Brian, to take care of each other's family in? That one was more nebulous. But you would agree, though, first, those, the those first... were the three, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But it was nebulous what wow. that would entail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In case so of our death, first you need to avenge it. Second, <laughs> take care of my family. There we go. That's that's the that's the gist of it. So you guys written wrote all this down, or just verbal blood oath, uh, little drops of blood somewhere. There was a lot of blood that was spilled. <laughs> I uh, fun. Another fun fact from that time was I very quickly learned never to fully enter into a room without pushing the door all the way to the wall to make sure there wasn't an Andy-sized shape behind it. <laughs> I, I can't count how many times I entered a room only to hear the door slam closed behind me and be thrown into some sort of chokehold <laughs> or other violent <laughs> attack. I need, I need I to prepare Brian for, you know, what, what could happen out in the room. I don't world. think that's changed with your sons, has it? <laughs> no, it hasn't. No, no. My, my sons what? live in a constant state of terror. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, deeply, I deeply empathize for the boys. <laughs> it's dad behind the door. Will he jump out and wrestle me to the ground? In fact, that's the way I start. Started my morning today, uh, waking my children up, tend to jump on their bed and uh, tickle them out of it. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Brian, great to have you on the show. The, the reason that Brian is on the show 
Yeah, we were gonna. We are gonna talk about his book that he just released not too long ago, called One Thousand yeah. Churches. So we want to discuss his ministry that's happening in Quebec and the the work that he's doing there to plant some churches. I think that's best encapsulated by the subtitle of the book: "A Movement to Saturate Quebec with the Gospel of Jesus." That's it. Yeah, I, I imagine m- the majority of your listeners are in Canada and know something about Quebec, but you must also have listeners in the U.S. And I don't know about you, but I've generally found that in the U.S. there's not a deep wellspring of knowledge about Canada and Quebec in particular. I mean, they may have heard of Quebec or heard of Montreal, but Quebec is a province in Canada on the East Coast, above New York State, Vermont, that sort of maple syrup country area over there. Pretty massive place, uh, 2.2 times the size of Texas in terms of landmass, about 8 million million people. And uh, some unique things about Quebec are that there it's almost considered within Canada, like a nation within a nation. I think that's actually like a legal designation that it has. Well, that actually uh, kind of surprised me when I first came up to Canada, is Quebec has kind of the same status in Canada as Texas has in the United States. Some Americans yeah. may be surprised to know that Texas does not, and I believe the U.S. will not, allow any sort of money-making machines to be in Texas for that very reason, because Texas has tried to leave the United States. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. And that's really interesting. So I was surprised when I came to Canada, yeah. uh, because I found out that this is true of Quebec. Quebec yeah. is still- Wants to pull in, out. Yeah. yeah, wants to leave Canada. Uh, now, hey, Brian- before we get into more of those details, because I think this is one of the fascinating parts of the book, is at towards the end, you go into a lot of fascinating aspects of Quebec, and I want to get into that. Before we do, though, first, I think a confession is in order. Brian and I are both from Oregon, the Portland area. Actually, Brian lived in Damascus, which is in an area called Boring, Oregon, and that's actually mm-hmm. quite fitting, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot going on out there. There really isn't a lot going on in Boring, Oregon. I, I live closer to Portland in a city called uh, Milwaukee, or I guess a suburb of Portland called Milwaukee. Uh, now, Brian, growing up as an American, I always thought about Canada as a part of the U.S. that no one talked about. <laughs> Give me your honest assumption, assessment. Like As a kid growing up in the U.S., what did you think about Canada? Well, I remember uh, the first time I ever went to Canada was on a junior high trip. You were there. We, I think we were in like seventh grade, and we went on something called a possum run. Do you remember doing these? I do. They would take us somewhere, but not tell us where we were going. And as the vans would pull out of the church parking lot, they would then tell our parents where we were going, which I don't know how they managed Thus, to get us to Canada. Thus, possum run. Yeah. So anyways, I remember we were you know, packed into church van. They separated all the boys and girls into different vans, and we're all in the back row of one of the church vans. And at some point, you convinced me that I should lay on the floor so that you and the other four boys in the back seat could all sort of, like, lean on one another and fall asleep. (laughs) And uh, I'm down on the floor by your feet. I was very compliant at that point. This just gives you more insight to the nature of our relationship. (laughs) Yeah, we're learning a lot here. <laughs> lots, lots of good stuff. I, I fell asleep next to all the, the the teenage sneakers, and I remember waking up and looking out the window and seeing flags 
lots of weird looking flags. And all I could think was, we are leaving the country and we're going to Canada. And my next immediate thought was, I don't speak French. This is going to be a problem. And of course, we were going to BC. <laughs> you know, so my, my impression was all of Canada spoke French and that there was snow there. That was basically the, the sum of my knowledge up until attending Bible school in Saskatchewan. I do remember being fascinated at a McDonald's seeing that my fries was being spelled both in English and French and just mm-hmm. just staring at that for a couple minutes and taking it in. Now, Brian, give us the snapshot of you were uh, a pastor in Portland doing youth work and what happens to take you from there in Portland to Quebec. And in particular, uh you know, I think it's interesting that we do have a number of listeners that are from Canada, but we actually have a number of listeners that are from Quebec as well. And so I think this is going to be interesting for them and in particular, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they can understand, you know, your story better and that there can be some connections that can be made here. But tell us, how did that take place? Yeah, well, we both, you and I both went to school in Canada, met Canadian uh, women and, and married Canadians. Uh, you stayed, I, I went back to Oregon, imported my wife to the U.S., and we did youth ministry, young adult ministry, for about now, eight years. Now, this surprises me, to be honest, because you went to Briarcrest, that's in Saskatchewan. And yep. Saskatchewan is, uh, like, you actually went to two rough schools, to be honest. You went to Moody first, which is in Chicago, where you almost yeah. uh, died. Uh, yeah. There, you know, you're, you know, it's a different kind of death. Be- well, it's almost, you know, actually, it's a, it can be similar. Both you can die being frozen to death or robbed it can either either way it could go either way on you both, S- both almost happened yeah <laughs> <laughs> now saskatchewan you know it's gonna be you're either just gonna freeze to death or freeze to death it's kind of <laughs> or or die from boredom <laughs> <laughs> so i figured you die. would have learned your lesson because you had told me these horror stories of negative 40 and, and just you know these ungodly temperatures that i thought okay mm-hmm. clearly he's learned his lesson yeah, moving moving to Quebec was not my idea for sure. You talk about dying to yourself and following Jesus. Like this was Jesus's idea, and I'm pretty afraid of Jesus. I try to do what he says. So we were several years into youth ministry in Oregon, maybe six years in, and we heard a pretty clear call to be involved in church planting, specifically in Montreal. But then there was like two years of tension where we knew we were supposed to go, but we weren't released yet. And uh, it wasn't until 2010 that we got clarity that it was time to go. And it was really, really rapid. It was like, just go out there right now and get in the truck. And in six weeks, we, we made the move into Montreal. But what was significant in my heart and to draw uh, both of us into Montreal, and I should mention at this point, my wife is from Montreal. That, that's what put Montreal on my radar. I visited. I knew of the city. Uh, I had appreciation for the city. But I ended up learning in 2006, there was a study done in Quebec that reported that the number of people in Quebec who would identify as being Jesus-following, gospel-understanding, believing, evangelical Christian was about 0.6%, so less than 1% of the entire population. Now, you said something— incredibly low. Yeah, I mean, you say something in your book, it's actually in the back, that you talk about how— there's more Christians in Egypt per capita than there is in Quebec. Yeah. Now that's beginning to shift. We're, we're probably now 13, 14 years later, we're closer to 1%. So it's like we've almost doubled. Jesus has almost doubled the number of Christians in 
in Quebec. So I eventually I may have to reissue the book with a different statistic as things get better. But at that time of that survey, that was true. But still, even now, we're looking at about 1%. That's 99% of people who don't follow Jesus. And it's not that they've heard the gospel and rejected it. They just don't know the gospel. And I know, Andy, we talked about this before, but just to illustrate this point, you guys being in Canada, you, do you guys watch hockey? Maybe Terry, you watch hockey? <laughs> yes. Terry eats, you know and sleeps hockey. Yes. I've okay, played so hockey Terry, since I was six. Questions. <laughs> Tell me, do you know, what's the name of the, of, the, of the hockey team in Montreal? Canadians. Okay. And do you know what the name of the goalie is? Carey Price, because he's oh, indigenous. Gold, gold star, <laughs> Terry. No, no one's ever able to answer that question unless I'm in Montreal. Well, he is, he's a Christian man because he's from BC, which I've been told is the Bible Belt of Canada. I don't know if you guys are feeling that. An interesting, it depends. An <laughs> interesting t- statistic. My wife lived right beside the reserve that his mom was a chief of. Oh, wow. Okay. In northern BC. Okay. Here's another fun fact. Spend long enough with Terry and you'll realize that he's, he's related to almost every person in Canada. I, I have literally been to numerous speaking engagements where Terry would be like, oh, by the way, I'm related to this lead pastor of this church or this person over here, or I went to school with that person. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that, that probably deserves more exploration. Yeah. <laughs> but Carrie Price is an indigenous person, like from the north right. there, from northern BC. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To put this into perspective then, because one of the things you say, Brian, is that this makes Quebec the largest unreached people group in North America. That's correct. Yeah, so just to, as an example of this, Kerry Price is a Christian man. He he has a certain amount of control, I guess, over the artwork that goes onto his helmet as the goalie. They have more artwork. artwork. And a few years ago, he had John 3.16 airbrushed in there. And the radio announcers in the pregame show, they're checking out his new helmet, and they see this. And they're like, oh, John something, John 3.16, what is that? One of them's like, oh, I think that's a Bible thing. And so they're like, well, we better get a Bible. So they're looking it up online or whatever. And then they read aloud over the radio, John 3.16, because they don't know what it is. That's how unchurched they are. Yeah, that, you know, it gives me chills every time I think about it. It's just they don't know. So what we have in Quebec is not only the largest unreached people group in North America, but we also have a unique situation in that they are post-Christendom, pre-gospel. Meaning up until something called the Quiet Revolution, which happened in the 50s and 60s, the Catholic Church pretty much dominated the French culture out in the countryside. So they ran schools and even post offices in some cases. They had sort of a stranglehold on the culture and on the peoples. 85% were Roman Catholic. And during the Quiet Revolution, that went down to about 5%. So we have a period of time where the church ran everything. And then we've been living in the last 40, 50 years, a period of uh, deep secularism and hedonism, meaning that there's just been a complete pursuit of, you know, whatever the world had to offer. And now we're coming to a point where that's begun to ring a little bit hollow. The sex, drugs, and rock and roll for decade after decade, there's not life that's being found there. And we're seeing new openness to spirituality and to Christianity and the gospel in particular as the young people are beginning to search, saying, man, like the church, maybe there was something back there that grandpa and grandma had because mom and dad seem really strung out. Let's talk about that for a moment, Brian. I think this Mm -hmm. is something that our listeners might appreciate. There's a couple aspects here that I want to get at. One of those is let's just talk about 
the level of sex, drugs, and rock and roll that's going on there, particularly in with regards to pornography. I was quite surprised to hear that Quebec is a hub of pornography. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is the Pornhub uh, world headquarters, which is, I believe, is created by some uh, university students from Concordia in Montreal and has gone on to become sort of a central repository or like they've bought up a lot of other companies, but it's it's a huge industry, both the production and electronic distribution of pornography. So for uh, example, out of Montreal. So for example, down the road from you is the headquarters of Pornhub. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in downtown Montreal. You'll see like in, like, they had like a, a few months ago, they had like just an open casting call. They're like, Hey, who wants to do porn for a living? Come to this uh, tryout. It's really open and out there. Quebec City also, which is like a few hours north, they've become, about the time I was finishing up the book, an article came out saying how people were moving to Quebec City because it was becoming so well known for how easy it was to have sex with minors, like it's Bangkok or something. It's, so there's sort of a, a tacit acceptance that is in the culture, and this has led to just a really dark and heavy spiritual atmosphere that is almost palpable. When you, when you come here from other areas. So I want to then go into a different aspect of the secularism that takes place in Quebec, because I think this is one aspect of people that live on the West Coast of Canada that have a difficult time understanding, and I think people in the U.S. that hear different news of what's happening in Canada, particularly mm-hmm. Quebec, really struggle to grasp, and, and you and I have talked about before. But just take, for example, laws that have been passed that many see as incredibly invasive on religious freedom, such as mm-hmm. forbidding people from wearing hijabs, for example. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah. So there's a difference between English-style secularism and French-style secularism. Uh, English-style secularism is freedom of religion, meaning the government shouldn't be interfering with your personal life, how you want to express your own beliefs. Um, You should have freedom in that area and you just keep government and religious life separate. And the French expression of secularism isn't freedom of religion, it's freedom from religion, which is a nuanced difference. But the way it works itself out is that in this law that has been passed in this past year that is being challenged on a number of levels by different institutions. And it basically says that if you work for the government, you can't wear a religious expression on your body, like a head covering or a, even a, a large crucifix or anything, that you can't wear those things as a representative of the government and enter into someone's home or provide a service or teach at a school. Basically, any job that receives government funding, which in Quebec is like, I've heard it's as high as 60% of jobs are receiving government funding in some ways, just being a highly socialized environment. And so that means they, the government. If the government is funding it, you shouldn't be forced to see religion or the trappings of religion coming at you or being presented to you because you should have freedom from religion. You shouldn't have to be exposed to it. So I think the the closest that I've ever heard this happening in the States is like when people put crosses along the highways, the federal highways, when people have died. And some people object to that, saying, well, I don't want to have to look at a cross when I'm driving to work. Right. That's a religious symbol or the same kind of thing of saying, well, we need to pull the Ten Commandments or the statue or crucifix or whatever out of this government building. You know, that's been there for historical reasons. We need to pull that out. Um, That's just taking that same sentiment and extending it like as 
far as it can go, all the way down to the woman who watches your kids, you know, in her home and runs like a private daycare in her home that she can't wear her Muslim head covering because she receives some measure of government funding. Now, another piece to the religious landscape over there, and so we have the secularism that's coming in, and it's been there for some time, but a lot of Muslims are moving in. I think you mentioned that in your book as well. So you have yep. the secularism and the Muslims that you kind of need to work to deal with. Yeah, there's a couple of factors with that. One is my own personal unfounded assessment is that part of this law is a reaction to the influx of Islam into Quebec. I think they look at France and see the trajectory of France um, and how the culture has shifted and they've kind of lost some of their identity. And, and in Quebec, retaining the French Quebecois identity is everything, right? We have a language law where French has to be by law twice as big on a sign as any other language. And if you run an uh, environment, like you've got to go in and like change the buttons on the microwave so that it clearly is written in French. Like they're very, very serious about that. So you have this sort of cultural shift of people coming in. And so the law in part makes it hard for them to live here. I think it's a way to kind of drive them out and make Quebec a less appealing place for them to come. But the flip side of this, the one thing that has been positive that's come out of this is their almost xenophobia of this other thing coming in. Islam has caused some Quebecers to look in them and say, that's not us. We are, and they kind of look around and say, we are not that we are Catholic or we are Christians or Judeo-Christians. or and, and they begin to resume the identity sheerly out of a negative reason. But in turn, we've seen people coming back into the church simply out of rediscovering their historical cultural root, which, you know, anybody living in the Western world can tie some of their uh, intellectual and philosophical uh, thought, you know, back into Judeo-Christian worldview. They're just sort of like rediscovering and reowning that, and that's causing people to reconnect with the gospel. I think this is a good place for us to continue uh, in this conversation. For those that, for example, that are interested on more of the backstory, we don't want to get into that today. You know, how, you know, what was it like moving to Quebec and starting this church and, and the work you're doing, but they can read more about that in the book. I want to, I want to though jump into this aspect of things, what it is to actually do ministry in a place like Quebec. Cause I think one of the things that might surprise people to know is that yes, it's secular. And we, and we just talked about, you know, some of the ways that it's secular and there's a lot more that can be said and that you talk about in the book, but yet there's a receptivity to the gospel. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, you began to just just now, you know, talk a little bit about that receptivity. I guess in some ways it might be a you know a reaction against something like like Islam, but I know that there's a fair bit of atheism and just people who have no religion at all going on in Quebec. So, what has been the reception to you church planting there, and what ha you know how long have you been doing it, and what have you seen and experienced? Yeah, we got started in 2010. God paired us up with another couple. I ended up hearing from the Lord just to let that guy take the lead. And I ended up being supportive role, currently the executive pastor of Church 21 Montreal. And our goal is to plant churches. And statistically, if you want to see the maximal amount of growth, church planting is statistically way beyond any other model of seeing you know, more people reach Jesus. 
Uh, and so our goal has been to plant as frequently as is possible and wise. We've maybe even been more ambitious than we should have in some of our pushing out of new plants. But we, we started one church in English, downtown Montreal. Montreal is a very Quebec French place, but Montreal is a very multilingual place like, you know, Vancouver or Toronto uh, with immigration uh, and the schools and whatnot. You just have a million languages. But eventually we planted uh, again in French out of the folks who were attending. And we've actually kept them close to us so that we're sort of one church in two languages now. We run in a movie theater and we'll have English in one theater and French in the other. And uh, we've been involved in planting further out into the suburbs of the West Island of Montreal, and that has rolled into being a revitalization work. I mentioned in the book that in the 50s, there were a couple of guys who came out and initially began planting churches and preaching the gospel in Quebec, basically for the first time. So their work still exists, but many of those churches are struggling to connect with a culture that has rapidly outpaced their comfort zone. And so there's a, a great work of trying to revitalize these churches before they die off. Um, so we're pretty involved in that as well. But in terms of gospel receptivity, we have a highly intellectual global city in Montreal where a lot of people think that they're too smart to believe in God. So there's a lot of atheism that's occurring. And we're seeing a whole range of things. We're seeing the Lord like literally just tell people who are atheists to start going to church. Like, just, I don't know if it's an audible voice or how that's taking place, but people are showing up saying, like God said, I have to start going. I don't believe in him, but here I am. You know, it's interesting, um, Brian, just on that note, even here in British Columbia, we have been having the same thing happen at our church. Okay. A number of people that have just come and just said, I think I need to go to church. Never yep. stepped foot in a church in their life. And I think how interesting, like, it's an interesting thing that God's doing with regards to that. But yeah, continue on. Just wanted to yeah. just put that in there. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think a lot of what we're seeing in Quebec is happening in, in cities around the world, particularly as the world is urbanizing and more and more people are in the cities and are mixing. Um, Jesus saves, like he has people that he desires to bring to himself and he's just bringing them. It's actually become a little bit difficult to keep up with because there's such a low number of converted folks in Quebec to begin with, my impression is, is that there's a lot of low hanging fruit. Well, and so stage. I'm guessing then you've got a leadership problem. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have all the problems. Yeah. All the, <laughs> all of the, all of the growth problems. We did start a school inside our entity for uh, church planting is very similar to the immerse program that a lot of uh, denominations will be running where you have guys come and do some academic work, but they spend most of the time out of the ivory tower, in the trenches, making mistakes, serving in your church. So we have guys who raise money, like missionaries, move to Quebec. Jesus moves them here. They're part of that sort of wave of church planters that Jesus is pouring into the province. And they connect with us, and we put them to work. That's great, uh, because it's, it's queuing up you know, the next batch of church planters that we're going to send out. And it does provide more labor for the fields, which are ripe for harvest. But there are challenges with growth. You know, when your team changes sizes, it goes from two guys drinking coffee to 12 people who all have their own values and ideas. And, you know, we're dealing with stuff in two languages now and a clash of cultures. We've got a bunch of guys coming up from 
South America who are now working with us. And uh, it's, there's complexities there, but we have such joy in the midst of it because we're just so forward leaning and bent into this mission. And we're seeing Jesus do such amazing things that it's, it's impossible not to be very, very excited to be a part of it. So you have a mission for the future and that's for sure. From 2020 yeah. to 2040, tell us what you want to do in that period of time. And what, what are the practical steps that you're going to be taking? Because you mentioned in the books, you know, just uh, the step of academic and practical training, that kind of thing. Can you give mm-hmm. us a little uh, insight into that? Yeah. So we believe Jesus is in the process of doing what would account as a revival in Quebec, although there's nothing to revive. So it's just a, it's a vival of Quebec in that we can eventually migrate from 1% up to 25% following Jesus. It's over 40 years, which is a massive thing. And we know that he's going to work through a lot of different people to do that. But we see our piece of it in our uh, region in Montreal is to be involved in the planting and revitalization of a thousand churches over the next 40 years, which basically means our church planting one church every four years over the next 10 and in working with all of those plants to continue that process. So if you math that out, it runs up to about a thousand churches over 40 years. So it's a very aggressive timeline. But when you're working it out on the ground, four years is a long time. Um, in Texas, you can plant a church in like a week and, you know, buy a church van and a building and all that. But in Quebec, it takes longer. So four years is aggressive for us, but it's still doable. So we've got a guy who's teed up to plant four years from now in the largest uh, housing project in Canada, which is in the West Island, 55 buildings of immigrants, Haitians, and Syrian refugees. And uh, the goal is to get a missional community leader in each of those buildings and to begin um, almost like a parachurch ministry at first. And then as people start to meet Jesus to form that that next church out of that. But again, all of this is just very um, logistically intensive to really provide good care for these guys. Cause when you're moving to Quebec, it's hard on your soul, it's hard on your marriage. It's hard on your kids. So there's a lot of care that goes into making sure that these guys handle that transition. Well, uh, that, you know, their support raising is going well, um, that people are praying for them and supporting them in prayer is, is huge. There's a lot of spiritual opposition that they encounter. I know Andy's talked about this. Like if you <clears throat> don't believe in spiritual opposition, just try to start preaching or plant a church and then you will get a you'll get a front row seat to the limited resources of the enemy get trained on you and uh, you'll I never believe many, many that Satan exists stories. until you start doing ministry <laughs> until you start doing ministry and realize then then he cares about you yeah yeah on that note uh Brian uh how can people support you how can people participate in the work that that is being done in Quebec? Yeah, well, they can learn more about it or find the book at 1000churches.com, all written out, uh, no numbers in there. That'll allow them to find it. And uh, yeah, the reason the reason that uh, I wrote the book was threefold. One is we want more people to be aware of both the need and the opportunity in Quebec of what's taking place, what Jesus is up to just that more people are praying, because we believe that what is happening now is because of all of the prayer that has gone into it over the decades that people have been, as people grow aware of it uh, and are praying. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we hope that many, many people will read the book and that Jesus will call them to join the work. 
that they'll come to plant a church or be a part of a church planting core team. Um, I know that now I've made it sound really, really appealing <laughs> to move here and, and, uh, and suffer for Jesus. But uh, just that that's our desire. If we're going to plant 1000 churches, we need 1000 planters. And that's a lot of, a lot of folks. And obviously we hope to raise up a lot of indigenous Quebecers within Quebec. Uh, but right now we're still in sort of like a receiving nation status. And so we're still very dependent on outside missionaries coming into Quebec, outside funding coming into Quebec. And that's the third piece of it is there isn't the deep, longstanding expression of the church in that area that has sort of the stable economic backing to continue the work of church planting. What's taking place there is largely out of the generosity of other churches pouring resources into Quebec. And so that's just making that aware also. And the, and the goal is, at the end of this period, that we go from being a receiving nation to a sending nation, because we have access to the French-speaking world, which is also, in, in many places, nearly as secular as Quebec. So that's the heart behind the book. And the best way is just to connect through that. And you can also connect with me directly through that, 1000churches.com. Love to hear from anybody who is interested in learning more about Quebec. And if God's put it on your heart to consider moving to Quebec. Love to have that conversation. Well, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show is is we do have listeners from Quebec and throughout Canada that we wanted to, you know, let them be aware, help them to be aware of your ministry and the work that is happening and how they can participate in it. Now, Brian, if there's somebody from the United States or from Canada that would like to partner with you financially, can they do that? And how can they do that? Yeah, we, we eventually set up a U.S. entity to be able to provide U.S. tax receipts. So if folks want to support the work, they can do that. If you go to 1000churches.com, that'll take you to a page about the book, but there's also very easy to see on there options to be able to give towards the work and to join the support team to continue what's happening. So that's available. There's Canadian options and, and U.S. options. Great. And as we close here, again, I want to encourage people to check out this book, 1000 Churches. Uh, There's a lot more in here that we just didn't have time to get into, of course, and also just uh, interesting facts that I think people would appreciate knowing about the work happening there. But Brian, how could we just, uh, what are some prayer needs? As you mentioned, that that prayer is a vital part of what's taking place in Quebec. What what would Mm -hmm. you ask people to be praying for, for you guys out there? Yeah. First of all, just prayer that Jesus would continue to take dead men and bring them to life. Uh, We see that taking place and just the conversions that are occurring. And we're talking about like hundreds of baptisms within our network of churches of people who are coming out of just the worst possible situations. So that's the work of Jesus. Um, And so we're just asking for prayer that he would continue that. Uh, Secondly, protection for those new believers. They are deeply, deeply ingrained in a culture that is uh, and a philosophy of mind that requires a huge amount of deconstruction to like even get them to where they can understand the worldview of the Bible and Christianity. It's deeply challenging. The type of work that you guys are doing in apologetics is so hugely important in Quebec, not for the conversion of people, but to be able to get them to the point where they can wrestle with the gospel, where they even understand uh, what we're talking about. So prayer for for them, because even as we baptize people, the enemy then targets them and tries to drag them back. So protection for them. And then just in general, that the Lord would continue to provide both workers and 
and resources for the harvest that he would continue to lead this thing. We have Jesus at the head of our organizational chart in our church as he's the senior pastor. So when things get to be too heavy for us, too big for us, we just look to him to take the lead in all of these things. And so as much as the the people of God are, uh, as Spurgeon, I think Spurgeon says, like our, one of the main things we do in evangelism, it, aside from the preaching of the gospel, is to, is to weep and pray for the lost that we would beg the Lord that he would save more people. Um, that's, that's a huge uh, aspect of all of this. So we, we want people to know and to weep and to pray and to fast for the people in Quebec. Well, let's, uh, let's do that. As we close uh, this podcast, God, we just uh, lift up Quebec to you. We are so thankful for people like mm-hmm. Brian and his team, and we just pray your richest blessings upon them. They would continue this work, but they, they wouldn't do it alone, that you would continue to raise up people from across Canada, the United States, around the world that would participate. And we look forward to the day that Quebec is ascending nation. We pray this in your mm-hmm. name. To your glory. Amen. 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 Thank you. It's been great talking with you, Brian, about your ministry in Quebec. And uh, I know a little bit about Quebec. I don't know if you knew this, Brian, but uh, my band where I'm registered at and where I went to as a young kid quite often uh, is in northern Quebec. And so I was always struck by the feeling of Quebec being such an unchurched province, even at that time. I remember just driving Mm -hmm. through and and going through the different communities and stuff like that. But it it did strike me that, that how unchurched it was. Mm-hmm. What, what band is that again that you're... Waswanapi. Shout out to Waswanapi. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, great to have you here and enjoy talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you guys again. Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about.